And after the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Let's pray together tonight. Our Father, we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. Well, we thank you tonight for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, it's so evident in each one of our lives. Well, we thank you for loving us in spite of us. Well, we thank you for this church. Well, we thank you for your spirit already being in this place tonight. Lord, I pray as we preach your word tonight, God, we don't need to hear from a man. God, we need to hear from you tonight. God, I pray that you would stir our hearts. Lord, I, I pray that we just don't go through some religious motion tonight, Lord, but God, I pray that you would just help us to think. I pray that you would help our hearts to be stirred. Lord, more than anything, I pray that you would be high and lifted up in this place tonight. God, I believe the greatest days of River City are the days ahead. And God, I pray that even tonight you would stir the fires of revival in our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray for Pastor and for Angie and their dear family. Lord, put a hedge around them. Continue to use them. Lord, they're some of my heroes, and I thank you for them and their friendship. Lord, I thank you for this church and what it means to so many people. Lord, bless tonight like only you can. Father, we'll be careful to give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In your precious and your holy name we pray. Amen. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth. If you know your Bible, he's correcting different issues within the church. He's, he talks about uh, the problem of disunity, and he really dives in that and corrects them on that. He talks about the issues of sexual immorality that were happening in the town of Corinth and even in the temple. He goes through all these different issues that are going on with the church. And here specifically, he stops, and there was an issue going on that they were, they were abusing the Lord's Supper. And I, as I begin to study this text, and I begin to read this, and begin to understand what was happening here, the church at Corinth, you know what the church at Corinth needed? It needed revival. Corinth as a city didn't just need revival. The church needed revival. Let me just say this tonight. We, I've heard a lot of preaching on revival. I've preached in a lot of revivals. And I think sometimes we have this idea that revival, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen out there. And we need revival in the world. And we need revival in America. And I hear that all the time. But let me just say this tonight. If we're going to see revival, you know where it's going to start. It's not going to start in the world. Hey, it's not going to start in the government. It's not going to start in the White House. If we're going to see revival, it's going to start right here. It's going to start with us individually. And I believe there's three or four things in our text tonight that I believe God is trying to teach us, and he's trying to teach the the church at Corinth through the writing of Paul. If we're going to have revival, there's some things that need to be part of every one of our lives. Here's the problem so often. As the church, we become complainers. We complain about everything. The politics. We complain about you know, everything, that the world, the way that things are going, the, the issues we're seeing in immorality in our world, and all the things that are going on. And so often, just, just like Paul in Romans chapter number 7, if you remember the chapter, he says, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And he goes through that whole, whole spiel there. And Paul comes to the realization that Paul's biggest problem wasn't everybody else. You know who Paul's biggest problem was? It was Paul. You know the church's problem and the church's biggest problem? Isn't everybody else? It's the church. 
I believe this, and you may get mad at me, but I believe this. If the church would have been doing its job for the last hundred years, we wouldn't be in the shape that we're in tonight. We've been distracted. We've been self-absorbed. We've become consumers. We infight. We have issues. We argue over stupid stuff. We, man, we make issues about things that don't matter. We live for all this, I mean, really just absurd things that cause us to get distracted from what God wants us to do and what he wants us to have in our lives. Man, we spend a lot of time worried about things that don't matter. If you're like me, the last, uh, you know, you go through, you watch politics, and you can, your blood begins to get boiling, and we get distracted, and we get angry, and we get mad, and all this stuff. And I just want to remind you tonight, as we get into this text, last time I checked, as we just sung, God is still sovereign, God is still on the throne. Nothing that's happening in this world is not allowed or decreed by God himself. We must remember that tonight. And if we're going to see revival, it's going to start with you. I want to dive into this text tonight and just give us a recipe for revival. Four things tonight that we need to do if we're going to each see, pers- if we're personally going to see revival. Look at verse number 23 in the Word of God tonight. It says this, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup in the New Testament is my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death, or you remember the Lord's death till he come. He's restating something that had already happened the night that Jesus was betrayed at that last supper. He's reminding the church of this. Listen, if we're going to have revival, the first thing I want to remind you of tonight is we've got to look back. I want to remind you tonight, I think sometimes we forget, I want you to just think with me tonight, he was betrayed, when Judas betrayed him in the garden, he betrayed, listen, he was betrayed for you. It wasn't just the rest of the world, it was for you personally. The same night in which he was betrayed, he was betrayed for you. Look at verse number 24, when he had given thanks, he break it and said, take, eat, this is my body, and notice these words, which is broken, look at the next two words, for you. He was betrayed for you. He was his body was broken for you. We've got to look back. Look at verse number 25. After the same manner he took the cup and when he had supped saying, look at it, this cup is the new testament my blood. Listen, he 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 bled for you tonight. We've got to look back. We must remember that the sacrifice that Jesus made 2,000 years ago wasn't for the sins of the world. It was for your sin, and it was for my sin. Imagine yourself sometime. At, listen, in that garden, as Jesus is betrayed by Judas, and they haul him away as a common criminal or a thief. Imagine yourself in the courtroom as they unjustly try him, making a mock of the judge of the universe. Imagine yourself sometime in the gallery as they tied our Savior's hands together, pulling that rope over a pulley, and they begin to bring him up till his body is stretched out, Christ being on his tiptoes, an executioner steps forward, and he takes that cat of nine tails with that metal, and that sharpened bone tied into the end of those nine razor strands as they begin to carve the body of our Savior. The psalmist prophesies of it in the 129th Psalm. He says that it, basically this, he says it looks like there's been a plow that's gone through a garden on our Savior's back. 
It's said that as the middle metal digs into the skin of the victim, when the, rip, the whip is ripped back, strips of skin and muscle would be shredded from the person's body. It's said that many of the scourging victims wouldn't even make it to the cross because they wouldn't survive the beating of those nine razor strands of whip, hitting him 39 times, leaving 139, 351 open lacerations on his side, his abdomen, and his back. And he went through that for you and for me. Imagine yourself sometime among the soldiers after he was scourged. They place a purple robe and a crown of thorns. And they mock Christ saying, Hail, King of the Jews. He laughing and mocking the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Listen, by the way, he, the very ones that were mocking him, he was dying for in that moment. Picture him as they take that purple robe that's been placed on his back. And they rip it off of him. Opening up every single one of those wounds that have begun to dry. Picture yourself among the crowd sometimes as they force our Savior to carry the weight of his cross on his torn shoulders. The wood splintering into his already raw flesh. The weight of the cross causing deep exhaustion. As he Listen, he, he's doing that every moment. He's doing that for you. And he's doing that for me. Picture yourself as a new recruit soldier looking over the shoulders of the other soldiers as they begin to take those railroad spikes out. Begin to nail the hands of our Savior. Those same hands that fed the 5,000. Those same hands that touched the blinded eye. Hey, those same hands tonight that protect us from evil, that hold us up. That same hand that we can always hold on to and that's always there. They begin to nail the second person of the Trinity to that wooden cross. They begin to dig a hole nine or ten feet deep as Jesus is laying on that cross. And they, they tilt that cross up above that hole, knocking it into that hole. And as it begins to jar his body, it says that every bone in his body is out of joint. Watch. Listen and think about this. Psalm twenty-two, fourteen says that all of his bones were dislocated. Stand in the crowd around the cross as Christ suffers and he bleeds and he dies for our sins. Watch as a member of the crowd standing next to you yells out quoting Christ from earlier in his ministry and mocking him in Matthew 27, 40 saying, Thou that destroyest thy temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from that cross. Christ is dying for that man's sin as that man is mocking him. Watch as even one of the two that was justly crucified with him mocks him also. And Luke chapter number 23 says this, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. The whole time, he was doing that for you, and he was doing that for me. Look at verse 24. When they had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. I just want to remind you, listen, if we're going to have personal revival, every day we got to look back. We can never get over, we can never forget what Jesus has done for us. I just want to remind you tonight, he was betrayed for us, he was spit on for us, he was mocked for us, he was beaten for us, he was whipped for us, he had a crown of thorns placed on his brow for us, he had that purple robe ripped from his back for us, those nails driven in his hands for us, that spear pierced through his side for us, he suffered as no man ever suffered, Isaiah put it this way, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, yet we hid it, our faces from him. Y'all remember the passage, he was led as a lamb, listen to 
to a slaughter. Can I just remind you the reason that he went through all of that tonight? It's for you and for me. It says this, he was wounded for our transgressions. Listen, he was despised and bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised and oppressed. He was brought as a lamb to a slaughter. He was cut off and bruised. He was put to grief. He bore our iniquities. He poured out his soul unto death. And he did that tonight because he loves you and he loves me. Man, I love the verse that Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. It says this, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. I've got some good news for you tonight. He knows everything about you, and he loves you anyways tonight. He knows everything that's in here. He knows everything that's in here. And I know we're in church tonight. Let's just get real. Sometimes there's some stuff inside of us. That ain't how we portray it. Sometimes we can come into church, and some of us are already doing tonight because we got that pharisaical attitude. We look around, and we think we're better than somebody else. We look around, and we think, oh, man, what's he up there hollering about? Some of y'all are already there tonight. <laughs> Here's the good news. He even knows that. He knows the bitterness that's in your heart. Y'all listen to me. He knows the lust. He knows those issues that we all struggle with. And by the way, can I just say we all have sin? You ever heard the old saying, oh, brother, we need to love the sinner but hate the sin. Have you all heard that? How about this? How about we love the sinner and hate our own sin? Here's the good news of the gospel. He knows all that stuff about you, but he loves you anyways. He went through all of that for you. Knowing the failures, knowing the issues, knowing the sin, knowing the struggle, Knowing you at your deepest and darkest moment, and he loves you anyways tonight. If we're going to have revival, that's something we've got we've to think about every single day. You know why I do right tonight? Not because I'm scared of God's judgment. I do right tonight because I understand how much he loves me. Christianity is not a fear-driven religion. That's, that's, that, that, that's false religion. We love him. You know why we love him tonight? Because he first loved us. And I just want to remind you tonight, if we're going to have personal revival, we've got to look back and just remember, aren't you thankful for what he did for us on the cross? Aren't you thankful that he loves us in spite of us tonight? Listen, if we're going to, if we're going to have revival, we must look back. The second thing I want you to notice is this. Look at verse number 27, if you've got your Bible open. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Here's a verse we don't like as Baptists. Look at verse 28. Are we Baptists? We're not, I don't know if we are or not. But let a man, notice these words, let, let a man, notice these next two words, we hate these words. Examine, if you write in your Bible, circle this next word. Who's it say to examine? It says to examine himself. If we're going to have a Bible, the first thing we've got to do is look back. Listen, the second thing we've got to do tonight is look in. We've got to examine ourselves. First of all, examine ourselves for salvation. Has there ever been a time in your life where you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is? I believe one of the biggest issues in our churches is this. There's people sitting in pews every week that have been never been saved by the grace of God and dwelt by the Holy Spirit and regenerated. Listen to me tonight. Just because you repeated some prayer one day does not mean you're saved by the grace of God. Believing in your heart confessing with your mouth. There's a lot of people that have sat in churches, there's a lot of people that have been in church their entire lives that have never been saved by the grace of God. That's the first thing we've got to figure out tonight. Has there ever been a time where you believed in your heart 
And we've got to examine that. He makes us worthy at salvation. And if we are worthy, if we've been saved by the grace of God, the good news is we stand in his righteousness tonight. But he also makes us not only worthy at salvation, but he makes us worthy at confession. Man, many times we struggle with sin. Paul said he struggled his whole life with it. Wanted to do right and couldn't. Didn't want to do wrong and did. And you know what? Here's the good news about Jesus. When we do struggle with sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You ever thought about confession? I have. Like, why do I need to confess? He knows all about it. You ever thought about that? You know, one day I was thinking about that. You know what God said to me? He said, you idiot, confession ain't for me. He said, it's for you. Because if I'm going to get help, guess what? I've got to get honest with myself. we're ever going to change, we've got to stop ignoring the problem and say, God, I need your help with this, and I'm sorry. Man, I wonder how many of us tonight have been sitting in church for years, and we've been holding on to some, something, and we haven't seen revival, and we're a mess, and we're bitter. We don't feel anything when we come into church. We care less about the songs. We do it out of religion because we're holding on to something that we've never given to Jesus. I want to encourage you with this. If you're struggling with some sin tonight, look in and give it to him. The God we serve, if you do that, he's not mad at you tonight. He's not waiting to strike you down tonight. He's not sending a, here's the good news about God. The moment that you repent and you turn around and you run down that road, he's standing on the porch waiting for you. He's got a robe. He's got the best ring. He's going to have a party for you tonight. I wonder how many of us tonight that it's gotten cold, it's gotten indifferent, and we've been sitting in church, and listen, we're, our hearts hardened tonight, and we just need to give that thing that we're holding on to to him. You'll never have peace until you do. Man, we've got to look back. We've got to look in. Let me give you two more real quickly tonight. Let's look at this next one. Look at, look, look at verse number 33. Wherefore, my brethren, when you eat, when you, when you come together to eat, notice these words, tarry for one another. Let's talk about this real quick. So we look back. We look in. And here's one. If we're going to have revival, this is what we got to do. We've got to look around. We've got to look around. Not, not to examine our other brothers. But here it is. Y'all listen to me, church. This is why churches ain't seen revival. Right here. But to examine my heart's attitude towards my other brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me just say this as kindly as I can. Some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life are Christians. I have lost friends that are nicer than some Christians that I know. That's what I ask you this tonight. Is there bitterness in your heart towards another brother or sister in the Lord? Look around, not to examine others, but to see if you need to get your heart right towards others. Do you have bitterness towards a brother? Are you jealous of a brother? Are you carrying a grudge against another Christian? Do you still refuse to talk to a certain person unless they approach you? Part of examining yourself is examining your heart's attitude towards other brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen. There are two great parts to the Christian life tonight. Your relationship with God and your relationship with others. Y'all listen to me. If your relationship with others aren't right, your relationship with God isn't right. Do you know if you have bitterness tonight, that unforgiveness, it's not killing that other person. You know who it's killing tonight? It's killing you. They ain't going to bed thinking about it. You are. Man, if you want to have a right relationship with your God, you got you say, Jake, I don't believe you. Let me read something Jesus said. This is hard. Look what he said in 1 John 4 20. If a man say, I love God, hateth my brother, 
This is what God says. He is a liar. That's strong language, isn't it? For he that loveth his brother whom he hath not seen, how can he love God whom he hath seen? A part of examining yourself is examining your heart's attitude towards others. Is there someone you're resentful of tonight? Is there someone you need to forgive tonight? This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and the rememberest that thou brother has ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, and first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come offer thy gift. Listen, if you're serving tonight, if you're singing tonight, if you're doing, listen, you know what Jesus says, go get it right before you get up there. Man, go get that thing right. Listen, I'm talking about bitterness tonight. You can't have a clean slate before God until you have a clean slate before others. You're looking at somebody tonight that struggled with bitterness for 20 years of my life. I know what it's like to have something keep you awake at night. Man, I remember as an 8-year-old boy, I grew up in North Texas, Denton, Texas. Man, God's country. Somebody say amen tonight. Dad was a preacher. He was my hero. Man, I grew up in church, man. I, I grew up around old-fashioned, fire-breathing, vein-popping-out-your-head type preaching. Everything we did was wrong. Somebody help me tonight. That's the kind of preacher I grew up against. I mean, you couldn't do nothing. You know what I mean? Like, everything. You breathed. Hey, that's sin. You know what I mean? That's worldly, okay? You're breathing. That's worldly. That's the stuff I grew up with. My dad, man, he was my hero. Looked up to him. He's my dad. He's my preacher. And I remember as eight, eight years old, we showed up to church one Sunday morning. Man, just like every other Sunday morning, dad would go early, me and the rest of the family, my mom and sis, we'd come later. Remember showing up that Sunday, and every Sunday we'd run to dad's office, man, he'd have candy in there and stuff. We'd hang out a little bit before we went in and walked into the service. I remember we showed up that Sunday, we couldn't find dad anywhere. Nowhere to be found, we're looking around, running through, you know, it was just a weird thing. Man, come to find out, mom goes in his office, there's a note left there on that Sunday morning that said, I can't handle the pressure anymore. Basically, he was gone, he left with one of her best friends. My hero, my dad. I'm just telling you, I remember that day, Brian, church I got saved in. I was preaching in Flower Mound a few years ago and went back to that place. And I remember going back to see where that office was. And I walked back through there and those memories started coming through my head. And I remember as an eight-year-old little boy just crawling up. When I started realizing what was happening, I crawled under that secretary's desk in that front room and just began to weep. My hero, my dad, my pastor. Come on. Over the next few years, uh, it started out the thing where, you know, we... I'm supposed to go to him for a weekend. He never came. Time goes by. He ends up signing his rights over to my mom and my my, come to my stepdad, which I've told the story, but my stepdad's death, and he's the one that ended up raising me after that. Great, godly man. For 20 years, I didn't hear from my dad. Struggled with it. I'm talking about my hero, my dad, my pastor. By the way, don't tell me about church hurt. I've been through some church hurt. I remember crawling under there just weeping. I, had, I already knew I was saved, man. I knew God had called me to preach. I had one foot in the world, though, and one foot in the church. I was struggling. became very bitter. <clears throat> Even as a young teenager, man, I was going to go to Bible college, and I did. But I still had one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Hadn't dealt with some bitterness in my heart towards my father. Killed me, man. Struggled with some small addiction things. Nothing crazy, but, man, struggled a little bit. Even in Bible college. By the way, Christians struggle. Especially when they're bitter. I can help a drug addict a lot, many times easier than I can help a Pharisee that's bitter. I'm just, tell, I'm just telling you, I've been at the, I'm 22 years preaching now, I'm just telling you. Bitter. 
I ended up preaching down in Flower Mound again, and God was just all over me. Well, my wife's like, you got to deal with this eventually, man. She's struggling. She knew it. She was probably the only person in the world that knew it. Hadn't heard from him in years. Ended up calling him, trying to track him down down there. Call him, get a hold of him. We meet at a Denny's right down there in Arlington, Texas. I'm in my early 20s. This was 20 years ago now. Bitter and a miser- I was miserable. I remember sitting down at that table, and I'm not the hero of this story. God is the hero of this story because he had to give me grace, I'm just telling you. Sat across that table with my dad because I had to deal with this. Not to help him. You know who I had to help at that moment? I had to help me because I was never going to be right until I took care of this. I looked at my eyes. He didn't ask for it. I said, Dad, I, just wanna know, I want you to know this. I love you, and I forgive you. I remember that moment. You know, I thought it was going to be this Hallmark movie moment, you know. He made excuses still, you know. But we left that Denny's that day. I remember hopping in that pickup truck. And outside of the day I got married and outside of the day I had my daughter, the greatest day of my life, this is why, there was a burden that was lifted off my shoulders. Let me just say this to you tonight. If you're struggling with bitterness, if you're holding resentment against someone, the greatest thing you can do and the reason you're being held back is because you're not letting it go. You say, well, Jake, you don't know what they did to me. Think about this. We don't know what we did to him. It wasn't just everybody else's sin that put him on that cross. Whose sin was it? It was mine. Well, how many times should we forgive, people would say. Remember the disciples asked him that? What did he say? 70 times 7. If you're like me, I had my calculator out trying to figure that out. What was he saying over and over and over again? Y'all listen to me, church. Great marriages and great churches are built on this. People that learn to forgive each other over and over and over again. I just want to ask you this tonight. Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? We've got to look back. We've got to look in. We've got to look around. And let me just say this one, and I'm going to move on. When it comes to unforgiveness as a pastor, I share this with your pastor. One of the hardest things that I have to guard against is a hard heart. You know why? One minute people love me, and the next minute people hate me for years. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, when somebody leaves the church sometimes for something stupid, when I see them in that grocery store, you know what my first reaction is? Man, it's just like, you know what I have to do? I have to go back to that place and remember, man, aren't you thankful that Jesus has forgiven you? Forgiveness doesn't mean that we reconcile the relationship to the same influence that they once had in our lives. Some of you may have been abandoned by a spouse or whatever it is, but it does mean for you, you let that thing go. I got to look back. I got to look in. I got to look around. If I had bitterness tonight, I'd go to that person, or maybe you don't need to go to them. Maybe you just need to let it go in your heart. I wouldn't leave here. If you want to see revival in your family, in your life, I wouldn't leave here tonight until you get that thing nailed down. Look back. Look in. Look around. And this is my favorite one. Look at verse number 26. You got your Bibles open? This is the best one. This, is, this, this, this will make you think something. We're going to have a revival. These are just some things we got to do. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, are y'all seeing it in your Bible? You do what? You do show the Lord's what? Death till he come. After I've looked back every day, this is something I try to go through in my head every day. After I've looked back, 
after I've looked in and confessed that sin, after I've looked around and got it right with others, oh my goodness, I've got to look up and remember that today and tonight could be the day that he comes. Listen, and until he comes, I've got to forgive and I've got to serve and I've got to love and I've got to be involved. This may sound old-fashioned to some of you, but I believe with everything that's in me that at any moment, at any day, at any time, I'm going to see my Savior face to face. I believe that tonight with everything that's in me. Oh, that he's coming again. After you look back at his sufferings, after you've looked in and examined yourself, after you looked around and gotten your heart right with God, brothers, I want to tell you tonight, we've got to look up because today could be the day that he's coming again. Hey, I believe this, y'all. I believe with everything that's in me that there's coming a day soon when all that's wrong in this world is going to be made right. I don't know if you've ever studied it, but Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter number 21 talks about a place called heaven. And I'm looking forward to that new heaven and that new earth, aren't you? I mean, I can't wait for it. Go study it sometime. Chapter number 20 will start out by talking about there's some things that aren't going to be there. There's some no mores of heaven. I long for heaven, and that day when we're going to see him either by death or by rapture, I long for heaven, first of all, Revelation chapter number 20, because of what is not there. You know, it says some things that aren't going to be there. Man, there's going to be no more sin there. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? No more battle of this flesh. Hey, we're not going to battle with this dirty flesh anymore. It says this, there's going to be no more night. There's going to be no more darkness. There's going to be no more sea. Now, that one was interesting to me. I began to study that. Why does he say no more sea? I kind of like going to the beach. Is anybody out there at all? In the Jewish mind, sea always represented separation. When we get there, we're no longer separated. We're going to see him face to face. There's no more sea. Listen, there's no more sin. I like this one. There's no more pain. There's no more death. No grave diggers' shovels ever marred a hill. And cow- Is anybody awake in here tonight? Listen, I don't have to preach. No, I preached a six-month-year-old funeral this year. Man, I preached a six-year-old boy's funeral this year. I mean, I preached just two years ago, a 19-year-old young man in our church. I'm thankful tonight that there's coming a day when I'll never preach another funeral. I'll never stand by another graveside. He says this, there's coming a day when there's no more tears. He's gonna, it says this, there's going to be tears for a minute because he, it says he'll wipe away every tear. But he's going to take out that holy handkerchief. And hey, there's no more crying. Hey, some of you have been through it. You know what? Here on this earth, and it's been painful, and there's been suffering. I'm just here to tell you he's going to make all that right. He's going to wipe away those tears. Hey, moms that have cried over those babies that are away from the Lord. Hey, there's no more crying over there. Hey, there's no more pain over there. There's no more heartache and disappointment over there. I long for heaven because of what's not there. I long for heaven because of what is there. Man, there's some things... That he says is there. He says there's that street of gold. I believe that. That's not some fairy tale. I believe it's street. That that t- Listen, that gold is so pure as crystal. I believe what the word of God says. It ain't some analogy. No, that, it's a literal street of gold tonight. I mean, I believe there's a, there's a tree there called the tree of life with 12 manners of fruit for the healing of the nations. I believe it. It says it in Revelation. I believe that tonight. Hey, I believe that there's a, those gate of pearl that are one big pearl that is so big we can walk right through it. That's what the Word of God says. I believe that tonight. There's some things that are there. That's awesome to think about. Some things that aren't there. Some things that are there. This is the best one. There's some people that are there. What is, <laughs> man, first funeral I ever preached was grandma's funeral. Brian, that was hard. Grandma, I love my grandma. She was from Denton, Texas, too. She's the kind of lady that cuss at you one minute and quote a Bible verse at you the next. Praise God. Preached her funeral, man. It was hard. I wept behind that pulpit that day. Preached it down in Fort Worth, Texas. Young preacher. It was hard. It was rough, man. And I preached my daddy's funeral. 
you were here last time I was here, I told you the story. My dad died of, of mouth and head cancer. Today would have been his 65th birthday. He, he died four years ago. And I'm thankful I didn't have to lie at my daddy's funeral, Brian. He was a godly man. He loved the Lord. My stepdad, he raised us. And I'm going to see him again. My, sister, my wife's sister, Joy, who passed away of ovarian cancer when she was 18 years old. No more cancer, by the way, in heaven. Thank God. And we're going to see her again, perfectly healed. And I want to get back and see some of those people we've read about in the Bible. This isn't a fairy tale. They were real people with real stuff going on. Man, I can't wait to go up to Adam and say, what were you doing? You ever thought about that by one man standing in the world and death by saying, Adam, man, you messed it up for all of us, bro. Like, what's up, man? Man, I can't wait to go talk to people like Paul. Man, all the suffering he went through. Drug out of city after city, thrown in jail, writing... Man, he wrote those prison epistles sitting in the jail cell of joy. Philippians, read about it sometimes. He mentions joy 28 times. Most of it he wrote rotting in a prison cell. Paul, how did you do that? How did you go from being a terrorist to the greatest Christian outside of Jesus that ever lived? You ever think about that? Can't wait to, I can't wait to talk to David. Man, a man after God's own heart that created terrible sin, but that God still used. And by the way, God can still use broken people. God can still use sinners. God can still use people that fail. If you have breath in your lungs, he is not done with you yet. But I can't wait to talk to David. But you know what? More than grandma. More than Paul. More than daddy. More than David. And if you're saved in here and you know who you are, you understand what I'm about to say. I'm going to see the one that ever liveth to make intercession for me. I'm going to see the one that I look back every day and worship because he loved me in spite. Oh, I'm going to see the one, listen, the one that never gave up on me, the one that never quit on me. Hey, the one that I had a shoulder to cry on, the one that will never leave me or forsake me, the one that I can cast my care on when I can't cast it on anybody else. Hey, the one that loves me tonight like I'm his only child. Hey, the one that's never give up, up on me. Hey, the one when there was nobody to talk to sitting by that hospital bed or sitting in that funeral home. Hey, the one when I couldn't even talk to my wife about what was going on in my heart, that he had an opening ear and he loved me and he was there for me and he's given me strength and he's given me help and he's never failed me and he's always been faithful. Oh, I'm going to see my Savior. I'm going to see my King. And I'm going to see my Lord. And I'm going to see Him face to face. And when I shall see Him, I shall be like Him. For I shall see Him as He is. That's the hope of the gospel tonight. And if we're going to have revival, if we start out every day looking back and looking in and looking around and looking up, I'm just here to tell you tonight, River City, it will change your life. Man, that relationship with our King and our Savior and our Lord, that anticipation by faith as a hope that we have in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Maybe tonight, Aaron, you can help me out. We're done tonight. Maybe tonight, just tonight here in Jacksonville, Florida, maybe tonight you just need to have a kind of a rekindle in your own heart. Maybe you're here tonight and it's cold and it's indifferent in your heart. Maybe it's been a long time, and I don't know what y'all usually do here. We're just going to do it. Maybe it's been a long time since you just said, God, thank you for saving me. God, thank you for sending a preacher or a mom or a dad or a grandma. Maybe you were a prodigal one time and, man, God gave you that grace when you came home. Maybe some of us just need to go back and look back and just see what God did in our lives. Maybe tonight we need to confess some sin. Listen, I wouldn't want to be the one sitting in this room tonight that holds back this church from what God wants to do in here. Man, give it to him tonight. Listen, he loves you. He'll restore you. He'll forgive you. He'll help you tonight. Maybe you're here and you look around you're struggling with bitterness tonight. Listen, God's forgiven you. You can forgive them. He can give you the strength to do it. I know it's hard. I know you've been hurt. Give it to him tonight. Maybe you just need to start every day looking for today could be that day. Lord, I want to hear those, those words, well done, 
thou good and faithful servant. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask you tonight, and I'm not going to prolong this. You can pray at your seat or pray at this altar. I'm going to turn it over to the preacher in just a second. But maybe tonight you just need to give it to the Lord. You need to look back for a minute and say, Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, help me to never get over my salvation. Lord, help me never to give over what you've done in my life. Maybe you need to confess some sin tonight. Maybe you need to get over that bitterness tonight. I just want to ask you just for a minute tonight, just give it to him. Give it to him. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's stand to our feet tonight. As Aaron plays, and I don't know what you usually do, but this altar's open. If you need a place to pray, pray at your seat. Pray at this altar as Aaron plays tonight. Just give it to him tonight. Man, ask him to help you with it tonight. Look back. Look in. Look around. Look up. There's coming a day. Listen, he's going to make it all right. There's coming a day, listen, there's coming a day when everything that's wrong in this world is going to be made right. There's everything good about responding to the Lord in a service like this. My goodness, I'm stirred, challenged. I want to do that every day. I want to look back. I want to look in. I want to look up. I want to look around me. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Let's personalize the message. If nobody else was here, Lord, I needed that. And thank God he's going to hold us fast. That's what we're going to sing about. Let's pray, but also let's worship. Let's worship. The altars are open. Folks are praying. I want to invite you to come. And also let's sing out as we conclude our service tonight.